Hey Paige, it's Luke. I hope you're doing well. I just wanted to leave uh, a little something for the podcast. And this this story really meant a lot to me early on in recovery. And it goes something like this. <clears throat> One evening, an old man told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us all. <clears throat> it is a terrible fight. And it is between two wolves. One is bad. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. This wolf is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you, inside every person too, the old man explains. His grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, what's wolf will win? The old man simply replied, the one you feed. I have learned today that I'm a combination of light and dark, I always have been and always will be. Uh, both wolves still reside in me today. The bad wolf is, is eager for scraps, trying to get in wherever he can. Um, but today I do try to feed the good wolf. I try to surround myself with people who are fighting for the same thing that I am in life. And just like me, um, you know, it's possible for everyone to feed the good wolf and to keep the bad wolf at bay. And that continues to be a struggle, but I found when I, when I do feed that good wolf and I do try to help others, life is just uh, a blessing and a gift. All right, Paige. I hope all is well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Welcome to another episode of We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast in the studio. Well, in the studio. Today we have Luke. Hey, Luke. Welcome to the pod and the Wana fam. Awesome. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here and hello to everyone. I'm so excited you're here too. It's really interesting to me how lately a lot of people have been talking about their addictions and also um, their mental health and how it's been better lately and I don't know what that is but I guess the universe is telling me something telling us something that people need to hear more about that you are not your addiction and there's you know possibility of recovery so I'm excited for you to share that with the listeners today awesome me too I sure will yeah all right so where do you want to start um well I just sounds to cover but um I just wanted to start with this before I came over I like to listen to a speaker his name's Tom Brady Jr., and 
Um, I just want to say I'm really grateful to be here and have the opportunity to share my story in an effort to, to maybe bring some hope and light to someone else's life who has dealt with the same thing. But um, Tom Brady Jr., he says, you know, gratitude is more than a word. It's more than a feeling. If gratitude doesn't transcend into direct action, and he's not out there giving away this gift, which was so freely given to him, then he's a liar and the truth's not in him. And the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's pretty f profound, you know? Yeah, and, and I'm happy that you actually memorized it. That shows yeah. me that you, like, really are living by that statement, aren't you? Exactly, and it just, I, I try to keep that in, in the back of my head, and, and just to illustrate, you know, I, I've been free of addiction for almost seven years. Congratulations. And thank you. And if I'm not out there trying to enrich someone else's life, and my, if I'm not out there trying to, to spread love and share my story, um, you know, I'm doing myself a disservice. Well, thank you for being here because you're doing a lot of people a huge service. And I know we're going to get into that talking about, you know, how public service has helped you with um, being clean and going through your recovery. Um, so let's talk about your childhood. All right. Let's get there. Where does it start? <laughs> so I'm an uh, only child to a, a wonderful set of parents, um, my mother and father. Uh, love me very, very much, and I, I'm very close with my cousins and the other, you know, my aunts and uncles. Um, I came from a drinking family, but but no one was like me or turned out like me. Um, they were social drinkers; they still are. They like to have a good time, like like most of most people do. I'm um, holding up this <laughs> AA pamphlet that I got. Do you think you're different? <laughs> yes, I think that's in many ways I'm different. But I, I love that about myself today. Good. Um, so, you know, drinking was, it wasn't frowned upon. It was promoted in a sense. Um, you know, I was, say, hey, can I have some of that beer? Can I try it when I was young? And my parents didn't know any better. And they were like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, but I guess around the age of nine, I started to experiment you know, I'd sneak a couple beers by myself, and, and I loved the way it made me feel, feel you know. It's just... You um, know, it's a similar story. We, um, in counseling, one time, like, when did you have your first drink? And for me, it's like, I was 18 in Cabo. <laughs> but for people in recovery, usually it starts, like, at a really young age. It usually does. I mean, it differs, but... My story is not much different at all from millions of other recovering alcoholics in that, um, you know, they got introduced to alcohol or a different substance early on, and they fell in love with it. Right. And, you know, I initially started drinking just because for the euphoric effects. Uh, it later became my single coping mechanism for all crises in life. You know, when the days were good, hey, let's celebrate. When the days were bad, uh, I know it'll fix it. Mm -hmm. And eventually that stuff started working for me. But, you know, being in recovery, I'm 35, and I would start, I would say I started drinking weekly at about the age of 11. Okay. And how that presented itself is I would 
take liquor out of my, my parents' cabinets and mix, you know, a little scotch and tequila. And I would put it in these little plastic bags. Wait, together? Together. Well, you were also 11. You probably couldn't <laughs> even spell beer run. <laughs> no. Or, or liquor in general. So, By the way, everybody, we're joking about this, just like in some of the podcasts, but we take it really seriously. And I want you to know that listening to this and being a part of the Wanafam means that you're supportive and sometimes it's easier to, you know, joke about the hard stuff once you've come through it. So I just Absolutely. And it's important for, for me to reflect on on those things. Nice. I mean, today I can laugh at that stuff right. and, and smile. And it's part of my history, you know, and, and I'm not bound by my path. It doesn't dictate who I am. It, my past is now my greatest asset moving forward. But um, So when you were 11. Yeah, when I was 11. Um started mixing these these alcohols all in a plastic bag and you know for the weekend I say hey I'm gonna go spend the weekend with my friend you know and I remember us being in the bathroom you know mixing it with with coca-cola or whatever we could find what bathroom yeah and and, what bathroom oh at my friend's house oh okay but the reason we were in the bathroom is because my friend had drank too much and he was throwing up in the toilet was he also 11 uh yeah okay and I remember the look on his face. He's like, I don't ever want to do this again. This is terrible. And my first thought was, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you not want to do this forever? Like, okay. I can't wait to do this again. And, you know, I think back on times like that. and it's pretty profound. And as I struggled with my addiction and got into recovery, I spent a lot of wasted time trying to pinpoint, okay, where... Did I become alcoholic? What was it? And what we say is, you know, at one point we were a cucumber and we became a pickle. And we can never go back to being a cucumber. You know, we can never right. be non-alcoholic or drug uh, or addicted again. Or, But we cope with that today. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I think of that situation and a lot of other situations where, you know, I'm looking at people like, man, this is, this is the way to live. You know, I, yeah. I can't get enough of this. And it's interesting because you were talking about how you didn't come from hashtag normal family with these prerequisites for people struggling with addictive behavior, right? You had the supportive family, you had all of these things, but you also had access to liquor mm-hmm. and this cultural part. So with that, you saying, you know, why couldn't, why doesn't everyone want to live this way? Yeah. Was that when, or want to experience this all the time? Was <clears throat> that a moment where you realized that maybe this could become an issue? I know you're 11, but yeah, I would say a couple years later, probably in in high school, you know, I had the just had the thought I I other my other friends don't drink like I do. You know, I would drink alone. I would any and every excuse anywhere possible that was my focus in life um my life started to revolve around you know putting substances in my body um Mm -hmm. so and everything else took a second uh, took a back seat to that but you know you have those thoughts as a as a teenager and you're thinking ah well you know i just like to party you know it's part of a teenager yeah it's it's what we do you know and yeah hey i just party harder than my friends big deal um, You're welcome. <laughs> I'm giving you a, you know, uh, what is it called? It's not even worth it. Keep going. So it, it, you know, 
as as I continued to drink, I got into other substances, cocaine, marijuana. I mean, really, anything you put in front of my face, I was like, all right, let's give it a go. You know, if it changed the way I felt, it's on, game on. Right. But Just anything that altered your mind, basically, any substance. Yeah, anything okay. that altered my mind. And I guess I, I really started to experience consequences Really early on, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is at 16, I, I had a Ford F-150, my first car, and I flipped it over with uh, 11 people in it, eight people in the back and three in the front. Do and you mind sharing where you're from real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm from uh, Harlingen, Texas, and it's near South Padre Island, Brownsville, where, you know, we could get access. 11 people could fit in a truck. <laughs> yeah. And... For Just people who aren't from Texas, this is like a, it's a terrible story, and no one to hear the rest. Yeah, however. well, I think, you know, I look back on it, and, and I'm thinking something was watching over me, yeah, and uh, I've had repeated incidents like this, but no one was seriously hurt. But to illustrate um, my behavior, the behavior around alcoholism and drug addiction is is what was apparent to me, and I flipped this truck over, and my first thought was, how my life is affected, how I'm going to have to go to jail. Uh, At how, 16. Yeah, 16. It wasn't on the welfare of my friends, you know. And, right. And I look back at that, and, yeah, there's a lot of shame and guilt around how selfish I really was. But, you know, alcoholics and, and drug addicts, we are extremely selfish people. And, you know, even even though I'm sober today, it's it's still the root cause of most of my problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the blessing is that I've, that I've identified that and I developed coping skills to, you know, accept it, realize it, and, and work around that. But and you've been a grateful alcoholic survivor with AA for how long? So, sobriety date is February 7th, 2013. So, almost seven years now. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It is possible, everybody. It is possible. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. Um, you so, know, and I, I just wanted to, to speak on that. Um, go ahead. When I say I'm, uh, I, I used to, when I first got into the rooms of recovery, I heard people say, I'm a grateful alcoholic and I, I'm a grateful drug addict. And I'm thinking, come on. Thank get, you for bringing this up. Definitely. Yeah, get off of it. You know, who is grateful? To struggle like this and, and to have this disease and to burn your life around, around you. Exactly. But now that I, I look back on it, if, if it wasn't for this disease and this struggle, uh, there's no way I would have as close a relationship with my higher power today. There's, you know, I have found purpose through my addiction in helping others, enriching the lives of others. Um, and my gosh, I'm grateful for that. You know, if if I didn't have this struggle, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to, to grow into the man I am today that, you know, I'm still full of faults. I'm a sinner. Uh, tons of character defects, but I, I'm proud of the guy I am. I, I love self today. I'm a, yeah. I'm a grateful father, a son. And, uh, and now fiance. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. He just shared that. As soon as he walked in the door, did you hear I'm engaged? And the first thought to me was, your girlfriend asked 
you going to marry her? It's like, that's progressive. I swear to God, Bible, I swear. And it's because like most of my girlfriends are like, I'm engaged. Right. And so you're the first man in a while that I'm really, did you hear? I'm engaged. I did it. Hey, anything can happen in recovery. Exactly. And yay, you're there. Grateful alcoholic, better dad than you've ever been. And you have this wonderful woman in your life mm-hmm. who holds you accountable and loves you for who you are. And that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and I'm, yeah, it gives a lot of people a lot of hope also. Um, whenever you started becoming a grateful alcoholic in recovery, what started that? I know we talked a little bit about like your sponsor and how structure became a huge part of your life. Um, and at the beginning, you said it was hard to find a sponsor because you're like in that same place. How do you become grateful? How do you move past this? Yeah. So let me let me back up a little bit and tell you about, you know, how I found myself in that position of willingness. Um, I, I continued to struggle all throughout college, uh, my mid-20s, and it, it, got, it got to the point where drugs and alcohol just did not work for me anymore. Um, and Do you mind if I step in? Sure. We're both Aggies, right? Yep. Okay, so in your 20s, you were already in college, mm-hmm. and drugs and alcohol started becoming an issue for you mainly. Why? Oh, yeah, so it's funny. Uh, at 18, I, you know, I was pretty good at football and got invited to uh, play for the Texas A&M Aggies. Whoop, you know, gig them. Both of us. <laughs> Class of 11 right here. And... I remember the summer going into uh, into that school year, you know, and, and I'm smoking tons of dope. I'm doing what I do. And I recall my mom saying, hey, you, you better give that up. Like, they're going to drug test you. There's, they're going to be watching you. And, and my thought was, ah, you know, there's no way they're going to do that. Like, everyone must be smoking dope. Everyone, everyone. must be using it. Like, they're going to go through spring training and, give everyone a chance to get that out of their system, then drug test us, you know. And and I say this to illustrate the type of thinking I had, you know, the justification, the rationalization, the minimization. Yeah. And, and what do you know what happens? The first day, Coach Logan, you know, we're sitting there in the, in the auditorium with my with my poor mom, and he's like, yeah, I we're going to take these droids, that. we're going to take these boys back and give them a drug test. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know? Mom was right. Yeah, mom was right. So, you know, that first day I had that mark on my name, like the stigma. Oh, this guy's a a, a druggie. He's, you know, we got to watch after him. How, and, like your coaches or did they put your like drug test results on the door of the locker room? No, like, but oh, it Luke didn't pass. <laughs> oh, we got to watch out for this guy. But everyone knows. I mean, uh, all the coaches are informed. And I continue to have, you know, a lot of random drug tests done on me. Like, I just, my name popped up quite a bit. And, uh, you know, the way I was in college, uh, the behavior was I would do good for a while. You know, that initial fear would uh, keep me sober for a couple months. You know, it maybe even six months at the most. And I would get comfortable, and I would the the obsession to to get that feeling back. You know, I I just want to feel right with the world, and yeah. I would drink and smoke again, and 
yeah. you know, use what I used. And, and again, I would find myself in trouble. And It's kind of like whenever you're younger and your parents say, don't cross the street, you'll get hit by a car. You cross the street and you get hit by a car. And then six months later, you forget that cars can hit you and you walk back into <laughs> exactly. the street. Hey, you know, this, this time it'll be different. Right. You know, this time I'll, I'll drink this way or I'll, I'll manipulate this situation this way so I can get out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of my life up until recovery. Uh, you know, I tried every which way to dodge the system, to placate the ones around me. Um, and it, it, it never worked. It always caught up with me. But, you know, the funny thing is the, the judicial, you know, I was on felony probation for a while. Um, while you were in college? Uh, shortly after college. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I ended up getting, you know, asked to leave the football team my junior year for multiple failed drug tests. And, uh, you know, for a long time I, I carried shame and guilt around that because my family, you know, I was only the one athlete my, my family had ever had, and they were so proud of me. Yeah, and, especially coming from yeah, Texas, man. Sure. And I remember when I when they told me I could no longer play, and I, I cried. But in the back of my mind, I was feeling like, you know what? I can I can drink and use like I want now, you know. Right. And it was on, and it, it just continued to progress and progress. You didn't have that accountability structure, even though you didn't realize it was accountability. It, and it, yeah, it was. Um, and you know, during that time in college, uh, the psychiatrist sent me to. Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know, I would say, "Oh, well, my problem's smoking dope." You know, I, I, I don't, I continue to drink, but they you know, an NA for that. Yeah, not a part of that group. Yeah, exactly. But I was glad I was exposed to those people because I could not doubt that they had a light in their eyes and, and they were excited to be sober. You know, but yeah. at 18 years old, I'm like, hey, you know, it's just not for me. I'm not you know? even excited about life right now. I just got, you know, <laughs> my whole world flipped upside down yeah. as far as I knew. Right, right. So so when did you start having that willingness to, you know, you see other, these other people that I'm guessing with your felony and everything like that, you were required by the judge to go to AA? Right? Um, no, I was not. Uh, well, yes, later on, excuse me, I... I have so much history between now and when I got that time and when I got sober, but um, I, I'll just give a synopsis of it. I continued to get in trouble, uh, scholastically, academically. You know, model relationships suffered. Um, they were in a point. My relationships were in a point of, of extreme decay. Uh, my mother, who is my rock, stopped talking to me for three years. I mean, uh, months at a time. Or, and I, I finally I understood why she, she did that. You know, it was like every time that I told her I would get better, and I meant it. You know, I, I really did have good intentions at that time. And I said, I'm going to get better. I would build her hopes up. And every time I went back out, it was like me taking a needle and, and pricking her heart. And, her, you know, let's say our heart is like a balloon. Every time I'd prick it, you know, I, I would expect it not to not to break. And it finally did. And she had to do uh, what she had to do to protect her heart and herself. Because yeah. uh, it was it was killing her. You know, it was killing my parents. Their only son, who they loved dearly. You They're know, watching they, you kill yourself yeah, also. So everyone me. was in pain, right? And everyone was. And I think that's was. a huge lesson that people don't understand when, you know, addicts realize that they need help or someone with 
MI, like myself with bipolar, realize that I can get help. You don't fully grasp how much the ripple effect exactly. happens, right? So back to your parents, they were worried. Yeah, you know, and, and I want to just take a moment to say um, with the addiction and alcoholism, there were a lot of, I guess, mental, mental issues that, that came with that, you know, uh, self-loathing, um, depression, and those things, but uh, you know, with those with those things, or through my addiction, I built these self defense mechanisms around me to enable me to keep doing what I wanted to do and to minimize that stuff. And and the biggest lie that I told myself or any alcoholic or addict can tell themselves is, you know what, I'm only hurting me. You know, this is my life. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do with with it what I want. Damn it! And exactly. you know, if you get in the way, that's your fault. And I mean, I look back on that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, I really believed in that. Yeah. I really did. But it, I, I I forgive myself for thinking like that today because I, I had to use that, those mechanisms to protect my drinking. Yeah, and isn't there a phenomenon of this obsession that people don't really scientifically understand, but you experienced it when you were 11? Mm-hmm. Like, all of a sudden, it's triggered, right? Yes, most definitely. Um, so alcoholism and addiction is, is really a two-part disease. Um, there's the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession. And there's, there's a lot of science that actually goes behind it. Uh, you know, me having a hyperactive pleasure center, whatever you want to call it. But when I ingest something, alcohol, drugs, it, it does something different in my body than my fellows. And... Uh, through that, it's, it, there's a phenomenon of craving that happens where I put that in my body and my brain tells me, you got to get some more of that stuff right, right now. And I'm willing to do anything to do that. Mm-hmm. And the mental obsession occurs when, you know, I put that stuff in my body, have to get more. But even after the substances have left my body, you know, the thought that, man, I got, I got to get used. I got to go get something. I yeah. got to change the way I feel. Even having been abstained from that stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say, well, you know, even after a month of not having put anything in their body, well, oh, I got a craving. Well, a craving only happens when you ingest something and your body's telling you you have to get more. What I experienced was the mental obsession in that, you know, it's more than a thought. It is... My primary focus in life, it's what I obsess about, is getting that stuff and put it in my body. Mm-hmm. And if I don't treat the mental obsession, uh, I am um, I'm a slave to that disease, mm-hmm. to that feeling, you know, that emotion and, and behavior. So it's a big deal in, in tre- uh, treating that. And, you know, I found uh, a way to treat that through AA, but I want to say there are, are lots of programs out there that can help with addiction, uh, right. mental issues. And, and, you know, I just encourage all the listeners to, to find what works for you. You know, AA is what worked for me, but there is a, a, a plethora of resources out there right. to tap into to, to get better. And last episode we talked about um, the Nova Addiction Center and 
put that link if you guys are looking for another resource besides AA, if you do um, really need a full rehab experience in order to get back um, to the place where these mental compulsions and, you know, you don't have a willingness to stop, that's another resource that you can use. Um, so you were saying before, like this obsession kept you alive, like using kept you alive mm -hmm. and um, referring to it as a survival instinct. It's stronger than hunger, yeah. stronger than thirst, mm -hmm. stronger than anything. What did you mean by that when we were pre so, you know, uh, let me preface it with this. There's just a lot of, I guess, doubt in, well, you know, a lot of people think, well, being an, an alcoholic and an addict is just a matter of the will. You know, why you're, you're deficient in having enough will to, to beat it. And it's just not the case. And I, I used to try to... Uh, educate everyone on that, but I've I've just found you know I I'm the one that needs to accept it that it, it is not a matter of the will. Uh, I was able to succeed in academic endeavors, um, athletic endeavors, but when it came to drugs and alcohol, I was powerless. You know, mm -hmm. so and the the way it was illustrated to me to um, so I could really grasp the power of what I was up against is. Your addiction, what? is that what you're talking about? Yeah, my addiction in mm -hmm. that, you know, this thing is, is bigger than me. It's more powerful than me. It's more powerful than, than hunger. I mean, <clears throat> when, let's say that a zombie apocalypse happens, right? <clears throat> and it's just me and my son. My son is nine. And you know what? It, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make that boy uh, survive. I will still lie, cheat do whatever I can to ensure his safety. Yeah. <clears throat> because I love that guy, you know. But He's when great. when I am uh in my addiction, that takes precedent over everything, you know. And you've been hey, sober for 6 years, you said. So he was a young he was a young lad. Yeah. You know, and you were going through this, you know, hardship accepting your addiction and everything. What triggered that like okay, this change that you are going to make willingly in order to make sure that this boy is a priority and your addiction takes the backest backseat. Yeah. Well, ironically, it was not my son. It was not my, the, the uh, legal consequences up. It, 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 it took way more than my mom stopped talking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it took me getting extremely suicidal. Um, and then, like I said, the drugs didn't work. And, and the way that looked in my life was uh, the suicidal thoughts became obsessive. Uh, I would be driving down the road thinking, how can I crash my car and make it look like an accident? So that boy doesn't think he had some dope fiend father yeah. who just checked out on him, you know. Or you and ruin anybody else's life by having them have to come upon your body. Yeah. You know, hopefully Good. they'll have, like you pray, that they have a better or a life that their last thing that comes to their mind isn't seeing you dead. Exactly. You know? And, and uh, I would just, I would have thoughts like these and, and pull over and cry. 
because I, I knew that wasn't me, you know. I, I remember being happy as a boy, and I was just crippled with these thoughts, you know. And I remember thinking, God, if you're out there, like, help me, you know. I, I know you didn't intend for me to live like this, like, no one. And uh, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do, but it, it when I say it took... That's what it took for me to surrender and having those suicidal ideations. The sui- like it was the internal condition, the thoughts, the mental obsession, the the, the self loathing. You know, that's mm-hmm. what it took for me to surrender to trying to change my life and do something different. And through that surrender, it bred the willingness, and through the willingness, it bred the action to take the steps to find help. Right. Right. A lot of people. They say, man, like you, you must have really battled hard and, and fought hard to overcome uh, your disease. And I'm saying, nah, I just surrendered, you know. And that's how I, I stay, uh, stay in balance is continuing to act or to be surrendered. You know, my, my failures don't have to define me or us. Our failures refine us. And I can use those experiences to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm striving for today. Like, this is the person I was, and this is who I'm trying to be. Because, you know, if I don't reflect on that stuff, I get lost. And when I get lost, I get scared, and I forget where I'm going. And if I forget where I'm going, I forget my purpose and and what I struggled with. You know, it's so so important for me to reflect on those bad, you know, yeah, they're bad times, but... If it wasn't for those, I wouldn't I wouldn't be who I was today. Yeah. Uh, and I'm again I'm so grateful for that. But you know, to Is talk that, about that. Like when you started having those suicidal thoughts, when did you realize that it wasn't okay and that you might need help for something else regarding your mental health? And I just want to um, you know, from a from your perspective so that the audience members kind of have an understanding of what these thoughts are and they are symptoms of something bigger and mm-hmm. you were not alone in them and you can get help. So like, what was the point in your suicidal ideation where you were like, okay, this is something else. This is, you know, compounding my addiction. So, you know, addiction and mental health, issues are are coupled together I would say they one can exacerbate another and for me it was my addiction that exacerbated the the mental health issues the suicidal thoughts the the lack of self-esteem the depression you know um so I knew you know it was more than than just the drugs because I I tried to quit many times before and I would still have those thoughts you know, it, it would even be worse, you know, because the one coping mechanism, the one thing that I knew would help me find a little bit of relief no longer worked for me. And uh, one of the scariest things I've I ever heard, and I still remember it, where they said, you know, you can no longer use and drink successfully, but, um, you know, I had a fear of, of getting sober, I had a fear of of not using drugs anymore because <clears throat> I just didn't know how else to live. I had no idea 
um, that I could live sober, you know, and it was a scary thought. You said you had a fear of not doing drugs anymore. It wasn't a fear. I mean, from my experience, if, if I do meth, I have a fear of being addicted to meth forever. And your fear is coming from, I fear that I can't stop. Well, yeah, I I knew it, it, I could stop for, you know, small, small moments a month to whatever, but I couldn't stay stopped. Mm-hmm. But, but the fear behind that was, you know, I do not want to be left alone with these thoughts in my head, right. you know. Uh, and for you to say, hey, we're going to take away the one thing that was able to manage those feelings a little bit, and I'm supposed to live without that? What? It's like taking your favorite toy away. Yeah, I'll be compounded by a million. But um, yeah. so but that was the hard start- truth. Yeah, how did you start like resetting that thinking, you know, rebooting your hardware, that addictive behavior and using and, you know, not wanting to go through the withdrawals and everything? How did you start practicing opposite action? Okay. So, it was it was made apparent to me that um I had to change everything in my life. I had to take all the old hardware out and replace it with something. I had to reboot my system. Um and it started with my thinking, well, <clears throat> you know, they say self can't see self. And Albert Einstein said the same, you know, the same mind that created the problem can't possibly fix the problem. So I needed, I knew I needed to be intervened on by different type of thinking. Um, and the way uh, that I looked at my life was, um, you know, I can't think my way into good living. I have to act my way into good living. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. and uh, If I think about it, <laughs> my fairy thought mutter. Exactly. So my, life. my sponsor was like, you know what, Luke, you got to, I want you to make coffee. I want you to open the door and I want you to chair meetings uh, here in this recovery place. And, and I'm thinking, you know, what? come on, man. I got like, I got, I got issues, real issues, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking about killing myself. How is making coffee going to fix that? Right. And and I just did not know what I did not know. And if I take the action to produce the thoughts which produce a change in behavior, which produce a change in character, you know, it starts with the action. And I was told, Luke, you, you don't have to like it. You don't have to want to do it. You don't even have to think it'll work for you. You just got to do it. Got to do it. And I love how tactful and straightforward the pe- the men in my life were because I could understand that, you know? Yeah. I didn't have to, to understand God. I didn't have to, you know, figure it out for me to get sober. It, it wasn't an analytical thing. It wasn't an intellectual thing. It was an action thing. So I started doing that. Yeah. And before I know it, I started to feel pretty good about Luke. And uh, I started to be uh, helpful, you know, and the people started coming up and talking to me. And, and I really felt they were genuine and they wanted the best for me. Right. And that made me feel good. Yeah. So you talk about Luke yourself in third person. Why do you do that? <laughs> oh, it's funny. Uh, I really don't know, but I just I like to think that it's like me looking back from outside myself on that situation. And, and, you know, if it's possible for a guy like me, it's possible for anyone. So you can just put your name in the place of my name. Uh, cause it's, it's absolutely possible, you know, no matter what you're up against, there are people out there that, that will 
that will love you and become invested in you. But we first must have to become invested in self. Um, you know, how, how can I expect to, to love my son, to love my family if I don't love myself? It sounds uh, so cheesy, but it is so true. Like, the older and wiser I get. Just kidding. <laughs> kidding. So wise. I'm so wise at 30. No, the more it is, like, you really do have to love yourself and accept that you're not a perfect person. We are sinners. Give it up to your higher power, whatever your thinking is. And I feel like once you accept that, then you can be of service to others, like you were talking about. Yeah. Did um, some of those experience experiences going to AA start shaping your thoughts on how you could become a sponsor? What was that process like? It did. Um, I saw other people. I would say before I got introduced to, to the rooms, uh, we have this idea that we're terminally unique and that no one else understands our struggle. Like, I can't talk about it. You know, it's a sign of weakness or no one will understand me or or they'll think I'm just, you know, bat crazy yeah and coming back to what you said before you were talking to men in your group and they didn't think that about you yeah so that was just kind of like a worry shameful thought that you had so I like that you know they kind of proved you wrong that talking about it really does bring the power back to you exactly and it's 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 cathartic I mean every time I talk about my struggles uh I don't have to carry that burden alone and it's reciprocated with, with other people's struggles, and that's how we grow together as a community and, and unify, you You're know, not together. Isolated. Yeah, and I've tried isolation. It is terrible. Um, I remember being isolated one time and having suicidal thoughts, and, I mean, I was so desperate. I tried to pick up uh, the Bible or some, some spiritual literature, and the thought was, are you really trying to fool yourself again that you think you can become better? And, you know, having it, I mean, I, I felt like that was the devil inside of me, you know, trying trying to beat me down, saying, you know what, look, you, you're not worth it. You're not good enough. You can't do that. Come on, man. What yeah. are you thinking? But in the rooms, I found other people who struggled like I did, who who were recovered, you know. And although we, we maybe used a little differently or, or drank differently or came from different backgrounds, I could relate to the internal condition, um, the condition of the heart and the mind, and that's what I could tap into. And the same solution that worked for those guys, men and women, worked for me. Yeah. Um, so it was really there. I, I found my home. I found my people, you know, and uh, God bless my family. You know, they've been with me every step, but they don't think like I do yeah. in certain matters. Like, they, they don't know what it's like to to want to just get up and leave your son during the middle of the dinner uh, to go get the dope man, catch him. Yeah. You know, they don't know what it's like to uh, have your life revolve around that stuff. And, or practice uh, beating up this invisible, like you said, demon. Yeah. Right? Um, and going through that, did it help after talking about it for a while to the people who share, you know, your similar experiences? Is that when you realized at some point that you were healthy enough to start helping others as a sponsor? Yeah. Hey, I want to apologize. I, I think every question you ask, I, I go back to something else. You know what? <laughs> um, you're part of the water fam right now. It's, it's cool, hard right? to talk about this stuff, you know, if you bounce back and forth. So I really felt that 
after I had been through the majority of the steps and I had felt a change in my heart that I was ready, I was truly on fire with life and I was experiencing something different. I remember, you know, 50 days being sober, uh, I remember hearing a guy talk about uh, suicide in, in the rooms and, and my thought was, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about killing myself today, you know? And I was right. overjoyed, overjoyed. And, um, you know, it happens differently at different stages for people. But those little, like, spiritual awakenings, those little spiritual moments or insights, like, they're a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't discount those. Um, you know, like Bill Wilson, who was the founder of AA, he, in the big book, he he had uh, little successes and he had failures, but through those failures, he kept going. You know, he, he tried to sponsor people and give away the gift he was given, but he was unsuccessful. But his wife points out, um, hey, Bill, you stay sober. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, so it's through that that I get to keep my sobriety. I get to keep that joy and peace in my heart. Um, you know, I, uh, today I wake up and I am excited for the day. And I try not to take those little things for granted because I remember waking up feeling the the impending doom around me. Like I had a job, people that love me, but the when was the shoe going to drop, you know? Oh but uh, it, I, yes. I started to experience that feeling, you know, relatively early on in, in recovery. And I'm thinking, man, I, I have got to give this away, you know? Mm-hmm. I got to give it away. I, I got to find someone else that I can help. Yeah. And so then I, I was able to, you know, really find some guys and sponsor some people. And it's it's just so cool how it works. You know, it's it's no big, you know, some strange matrix. It's it's guys and women getting together, sharing their experience, strength, and hope and, and their struggles and their, their life experiences with someone else and listening that we stay sober, that right. that we not just stay sober. They help you Let's, put the fire out. Yeah, man. Yeah. We stay happy. We we get to have that thirst for life again, mm-hmm. which was so lost. It was it was stolen from me, you know, through my my mental issues and, and my addiction. And I get to relive. I get to yeah. to have that that thirst for life back again. And it's man, this is that's the good dope that I've been looking for my whole life, man. I'm telling like you, you, like that. yeah, that's the good dope. It's it's looking my son in the eyes and and knowing that like I'm his hero and. Talking to my mom every Sunday, um, you know, being accountable, it's just crazy. It, it blows my mind. Um, and I want to I want to mention, you know, it's, it's my heart fills with sadness when I think of this. But when my son was born, I was in my addiction. And, you know, my thoughts were, here's this, this thing I have no connection with, who is a burden on my life, who is getting in the way of my using and drinking. Um, you know, my son, my, my son's mother threatened to call a lawyer on me, the cops, because I was a not a fit person to be around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, that, that mom that I love so dearly stopped talking with me. Um, and today, you know, my son is the light of my life. He comes first. That that mother that threatened to call the cops on me and, you know, who did not trust me. She, mm-hmm. I have a key to her, her apartment today. I Congratulations. get to co-parent Duke. with her 
and we are great friends. That that mother that had wanted to have nothing to do with me, she expects me to call every Sunday, and she she knows that I will. Yeah. Um, it's just cool looking back on stuff like that and and realizing yeah. the changes I've made and and how my relationships have changed. And today, relationships are the most important thing in my life. Uh, everything else falls second. Right. And you don't know what you don't know, right? Like, you are your worst therapist. <laughs> and, well, that's what my therapist says. So once you started, you know, taking care of yourself, um, when did you start thinking about substance abuse counseling? Yeah. So, sorry. Ten cents. I started thinking about uh, substance abuse counseling a couple years into sobriety. Um, it was always something that uh, I wanted to try my hand at, and it just so happened that the opp- opportunity presented itself uh, a couple years into recovery. So I took that opportunity and got to work with guys like me who who uh, are struggling and whose families were torn apart and, you know, who had tons of legal issues. But um, Your same experience. Yeah, guys just like me who were... Who were <laughs> pain in the asses to be frank <laughs> Taylor talked about um, on the previous episode she's in her recovery also and she's doing great um, everyone please listen to our 50th episode with Taylor and she you know talks about how like there are bottom of the barrel people but mm. you still like as as you go through your recovery you take those steps necessary and I like how you know, you people say all the time, if I can do it, you can do it. But they don't really provide the meat in the sandwich. They just give you two pieces of bread. Ah, true that. Right? So these steps that you're talking about, I hope that, you know, people really listen to it. Take notes, you guys. Like, this is good information. Luke's providing. And, yeah. like, did you, what do you do now as, like, the substance abuse counseling and everything? What, what am I doing now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so currently I work for Dell. Um, so I got out of the substance abuse counseling uh, about a year and a half into it. It just uh, anyone that works in that type of of industry knows it's hard to make ends meet. Um, but the cool thing about it is uh, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, my level of empathy grew so much deeper with the people I interacted with, the families I interacted with, and try to help. But the cool thing is, uh, just because I'm not getting paid to do that doesn't mean I still can't do that. You know, I, I still work with guys. And, exactly. Uh, and it, I'm available. I mean, I have friends and family call me all the time. And, you know, I'm, I, I can't fix anything, but I can help guide them to how I was able to get some blessings and, and some hope and peace in my life. Yeah. And now you can share you know, that there is a luxury to not having to lie or cheat or put this crazy emotional price tag that comes with your addiction, right? Absolutely. And is that, um, the, like the biggest takeaway from, you know, growing from, you know, 11 years old and all of this to, you know, working at Dell and, you know, no one really has their life together, you know, (laughs) but from where you started to where you are now, you know, what's the main takeaway through your recovery that you want people to know besides if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, those are nice cliche words <laughs> and the novel ideas, but this is important to me. So if you're in pain, if you're suffering, the first step that, that and I'll just tell you how, I, you know, what relates to me is uh, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I had the thought that, man, this I, I doubt this stuff will work. But, um, but your sponsor showed you that if you just make coffee, put chairs yeah, together, and it's, greet people. And, and it's it's all about action. Um, I can think and I can have these philo- philosophical thoughts and, and read. and But if I'm not out there aligning my walk with my talk, I'm not going to get better. You know, it's through the action that I get to experience new things and I can take that experience and it helps create a new paradigm and, and shape my view on the world. Right. Um, it's like, you know, some days, some days I really don't want to go to meetings or I really don't want to answer a, a sponsor's phone call, you know. But you know what's going to happen uh, if I just sit there on the couch and, and not take that call? Not a damn thing. Exactly. So I got to get out there and do it even when I don't want to. And this is so funny, like, even with uh, with church or meetings, you know, sometimes I really don't feel like going. But once I do go, I feel so much better, you yeah. know. And that continues to be my struggle today. It's like doing the things I really don't want to that are an inconvenience for me. But I told myself a long time ago, you know, uh, if if it's a con- if it's an inconvenience, it's probably an opportunity for me to grow and get better. Right. Um, and it, it's just like I can't stay spiritually fed on last week's sermon or last week's meeting. Ooh, what I am like I that. doing today to feed myself what I need to do to, uh, you know, continue to get better and get help? And I, I would just say the first part is, you know, whatever you're dealing with, you're not alone. But you have got to reach out there and and take the action to find the resources, you know. And it was put so simple to me. God is not going to do for me, what I can do for myself. Right. In the seas of life, you know, uh, I'm in charge of the Roman and my higher power is in charge of the rudder. I have got to take the action, you know. And it's so simple. I, I suit up, I show up, I try to help others to the best of my ability and God takes care of the rest, you know. And if if you don't really believe in God, if that's fine. I mean, uh, there's something out there bigger than me today that I can tap into for power, and um, I trust that mm-hmm. of Galilee. So I have to share this because it's so cool. Um, Yay, we like cool things. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, you know, this, I didn't hear this in the rooms. I heard it through uh, some other spiritual literature, and, you know, I, I just want to be a proponent of anything, any religion, any spiritual concept that I can use and put in my pocket to help me get better, let's do it. You know, I want to be open-minded about that stuff. Uh, atheist, believer, it don't, it don't matter. You know, there's, there's guiding principles for all of us. But this, the store of Galilee is so cool. So there is two C's, right? The letter C or S-E-A? S-E-A, yes. Okay. There are two C's. And both of these C's are fed by the same uh, water source, right? And on, and on one coastline, you see children playing and families having picnics and 
people fishing and their life is abundant in that sea and there's it's filled with joy and, and hope and, and life. You want to be in that sea. Yeah, that's the sea to be in. But on mm-hmm. in the other sea it's it's dead. Nothing lives in its waters. It is full of decay and, and poison. Uh so what what's the deal, right? They're right. both fed by the same water source. And the one one sea is the Sea of Galilee and the other is the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee takes that water that that uh, that life in, but it also gives it away. It, it flows back into the ocean, whereas the Dead Sea, it hoards all of its riches to itself. It gives nothing, and nothing becomes of it. It takes everything. It takes everything, yeah. So uh, I just heard that story, and I'm like, i got to keep giving it away. You exactly. know, i got to give. Exactly. So I can I can stay abundant with life. I love that. And when you say, like, abundant with life, some people when they're really deep in their depression and their suicidal ideation, um, medication helps them. Absolutely. Did you ever take medication while you were going through AA? Yes, absolutely. So, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it's, it's so important to be diagnosed correctly and to accept that, hey, this is what I need right now. I mean, we're in an age where scientific breakthroughs are happening all the time. And, uh, especially today, man, it's I mean, like it's scientists favorite pastime. <laughs> there's a ton of good medications out there that can help you. And, you know, in my ignorance, I'm like, I don't want to be relying upon anything. You know, I've been filling my body with poison. I don't want to take any more pills, right. but I mean, let's be realistic for, for years and years, over a decade, I have been putting this stuff in my body. And uh, thinking that ah, I can just quit and, and my brain functionality will be normal, you know, and that's just not the way it works with alcohol or, or substances or really any, any mental issue. But uh, medication coupled with the resources, the, the spiritual help, the principles is what uh, is what ultimately can drive happiness and, and, and make you the best version of you you can be. So, you right. know, use that stuff. It's, it's so important. And I like, thank you for sharing that, honestly, because some people, you know, anti-meds or for meds, we're not, you know, medical professionals. And I like how you said, you know, really it's important to be diagnosed correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if medication can help in the short term, awesome. And then you titrate off of it and you continue doing what you need to do to you know live a life worth living and stay sober yeah um how have your experiences through all of this shaped your perspectives on mental health in general okay um good question i i think uh, we're in a time where i think we're all lucky it's it's Mental health issues were viewed in the past as, you know, deficiencies or weaknesses or, or you know, like I said, lack of will. But yeah. we've discovered it's it's real, man. I mean, a lot of people have this stuff going on. And, you know, I'm grateful for the, all the medical and scientific breakthroughs, but most importantly for the awareness that is is. Um, being presented in our society because it, right. it there's not one family that doesn't have something going on that doesn't have an affected uh, love you know uh, a member of their family that that's not going through something right. that's you've heard like don't talk about it be about it we've been being about <laughs> yeah. it in the wrong way now it's time to talk about it while we're being about it you know in order to help others exactly you know and and I can take that problem and I can keep burying it under the rug 
I can keep help. suppressing that stuff. You know, don't show it. Don't show your head. Get back inside of me. But what does it do? It it eats up my soul. It 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 it, it holds me hostage from becoming the person I can be. So what do I got to do? I got to look at that stuff and say, hey, here's what's going on with me. Let's accept this. Find the best treatment possible and move forward. Kind of, so I can experience those blessings. So I can give myself. Uh, and be of maximum service to my family, my fellows, and others, you know. And you've learned how to put words on your experiences where, as a child, you didn't even know what was happening. It was just, like, a part of you, mm-hmm. right? And now that you're older and you have been sober for over six years, the your ability to think completely about your emotions and you being responsible for your actions has been a journey, Right. Right. And at the end of the day, you're here. Right. And thank you for sharing your story. If you um, could leave the audience with anything else, like a fun fact about you or just anything in general from your life, what would you share? Yes, most definitely. So I'm, I'm, Paige asked me something uh, to share or something to give as a takeaway, and I, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what do I share? And I, I wanted to share just how happy I am in life. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're dealing with mental issues or substance abuse, they think, oh, well, you know, I got to get sober and become an adult. It's going to be no fun. No fun. You know. Zero fun. I mean, Guys, I have <laughs> I have so much more fun sober than I ever thought possible, you know, and, and it just is so cool because the, the simplest things in life is what gives me joy. I mean, the other day I was at a pool party and uh, I was the only one not drinking, right? And I had my son with me and with some friends and, you know, we, we, started, we started dancing and, and doing the worm together. I mean, I can't tell you how ridiculous I looked, but, you know, I'm like, I'm not afraid to be a little kid. And I just, I love that about myself because, uh, you know, I had this misconception that I have to grow up and be an adult because I was so irresponsible. Guys, I am the the biggest little kid you have ever seen. You know, I go to work and I'm professional, but I have more fun than than anyone uh, I, I know at the office. I mean, for example... I go to people's cubicles and, and I'll call out their name and hide, and then I'll roll around on the other side of the cubicle and call out the name. <laughs> I and, must smile so big. You know, uh, <laughs> like I, I I hide behind doorways to scare Lisa, my fiance. I mean, I would do anything for a laugh and and just you know to to have that soul, to yeah. have that laughter in my soul back. It feels so good. Um, you don't have to be Gandhi and, and sobriety. Yeah, right? man. You, I mean, <laughs> you get to experience, like you said, a childhood that you never have. That you were so, like, the addiction was so on top of you, you know. Yeah. And now that it's, it's not, it's never gone. Everybody, like, you always gotta, you know, be skillful for the rest of your life. Sure. But yay for just pranking. Yeah, for man. Laughing. It's, it's so much easier to to deal with it today than, than, than how it used to be, you know? So what if I have to go to a few meetings and, and give some of my time? I mean, what, what how worth it is, is so worth it. But the other day I was driving past a, a pasture, you know, uh, some cows out there and I saw the bigger cows and they they look all stoic and adult. And, 
When do cows not look stoic? Their 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 calves are are running around, like playing with each other, and just being being a goof, you know. And I'm thinking that's what I want to be like, you know, yeah. to have that thirst of life back and and just to be happy and in the moment and present. Damn, you know that's a good dope, and I've been looking for that forever, and I found it. Um, and I, again, I I say if it can happen for me, if it can happen for anyone. No matter what you're dealing with, you know, there it's possible. And you, you don't you, have to be bottom of the barrel before yeah, you, you get Yeah, you don't have to be bottom. But even if you are, you know. So good. And I hear amazing stories and miracles are happening within our midst. And, you know, let me just share this. Um, I had a, a a topic presented to me the other day, and it was about, it was about uh, creationism versus evolution, right? Okay. And I'm thinking, well... Well, if I believe one way or think the other way, does it not make me a Christian? Does it not make me a believer? That's a good thought. You know, and I'm thinking and I'm thinking. I've really become <laughs> uh, almost as, you know, so confused about this. And, and I had to back up for a second and think, you know what? Uh, that doesn't define my belief or doesn't define me. If If I... If I want to get confused about a topic, I, I can really look into the facts and or or theories and really just confuse the hell out of myself. But if I take a step back and look at what's going on right in front of me, I can see tons of miracles. I mm-hmm. can experience the joy, you know, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm, I'm okay of not having figured out, uh, and I probably never will, you know, let's and be I honest. And I like how you put that too because um, I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, how do you deal with chaos? And to me, addiction or am I or going through mental health issues, you're looking at the chaos, right? But when you look at the separate parts of what you perceive as chaos, mm-hmm. it's not as chaotic. No, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, it's it's not so much a matter of what happens to me in life. It's my interpretation and my opinion of what happens to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm responsible. I, you know, I'm not responsible for my thoughts, but I am responsible for what I do with those thoughts. And, and you know, hey, this is this is what I'm thinking. Maybe I need to take a look at this, you know. And the other day, uh, um, you know, just because I'm sober does not mean that I don't have crazy thoughts. Um, I'm driving to go see my son, right, in Houston. And uh, I thought pops in my mind thinking, you know, I could go down to Mexico right now where I'm from. I can get this and that and stay up in a hotel. And I could still have time to make it to to see him. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, what I'm the like, hell? I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And today I laugh at that stuff because I still am who I am. And you're aware. You know? And I embrace it. Hey, I talk about that stuff today. Uh, I don't I don't hide it. Yeah, it's, there's it's, strength and awareness and sharing. Absolutely, man. And. You know, uh, <laughs> you don't have to put this in the podcast, but oh, we staying. I'm I'm walking past some some uh, some girl, and she's looking at her phone. She's like, Lisa, shut your ears. <laughs> she's like, oh my gosh, I have three bars to her friend, and I'm thinking, man, she got three Xanax bars. <laughs> and she's talking about her phone signal, you know, and <laughs> that's where my mind goes, you know, like, but I love it. <laughs> that is. It's really you know, funny. That is true. <laughs> that is funny. I mean, I just laugh at this stuff today, and I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm still crazy." You know, I uh, probably need to go to a meeting and share that. But no. uh, 
I get to live that truth today, and uh, man, it's it's awesome. Okay. Oh, Luke, thank you so much. Honestly, let's end with mastery and self soothe. Rock paper scissors for who goes first? Rock paper scissors shoot. What? Oh, okay. Oh, you do. Hold on, ready? Rock paper scissors shoot. Got it. What? Paper scissors shoot. I did a thumbs up. Beat. So. <laughs> I I lose. I'll go first. So in the next twenty four hours. Oh, if anyone listened to the last podcast, I got the job. Whoop, whoop. So I get to start back to work. And mastery is I need to finish up a lot of paperwork before I start the job. So in the next 24 hours, I'm going to make sure that all of that is done, even though it's the weekend. Um, Or I'm recording now. And then for my self-soothe, I... Finally have gotten back into running. And I know you're a workout fiend now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, completely. You should see this guy. Like, very redheaded. And him and his fiance just, like, they're the people at the gym that you hate. It's like, <laughs> that fucking couple. They are so cute and strong. <laughs> they. Yeah. I'm going to go run and it's, work it's out. My, uh, it's my drug now. <laughs> you know, it is. It's the good kind of dope. It is a good dope. Right? All right. Your turn. Okay. All right. So the other day, uh, I got beat in a workout, and I hate to lose. I hate it, right? Ego, there you are, right? My ego is enormous sometimes, but I I hate to lose. So the next 24 hours, um, I'm going to go back and do this brutal workout and beat the time and beat my own time, and afterwards, I'm going to eat a whole sleeve of uh, Oreo cookies. Oh, my gosh. So that is mastery and self-soothe. You know it. <laughs> That's all, what's the workout? Now I want to know. Oh, so it's it's a 400-meter run, then uh, like 20, 20 uh, 70-pound kettlebell swings and a bunch of other running. <laughs> you just do it over. You keep doing it. You're doing it. So, yeah, you're, you're like, you want to throw up at the end, but... But you finished. Uh, yeah, I finished. <laughs> uh, I love it. Luke, thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Um, everyone, rate, review, subscribe. The best way to help spread awareness and word about this podcast is tell a friend because you never know who might need to listen to real people talk about real issues, real experiences, you know, about these hard things. And so go out there and tell them because I'm trying really hard to not use as much social media as possible just because I know, you know, the world we live in, Mm. right? Um, But with that, if you in in any way, any listeners out there can can relate to my story or or have questions about this, you know, feel free to, uh, to give me a shout. Feel free to give me a shout. Reach out through page or the website. Mm-hmm. We are no Alamo at gmail.com. Or you can fill out um, the volunteer form or contact us form at we are no Alamo.com. And, and I'll get yeah, back to you. I will be so happy to, uh, to help in any way I can. Definitely. Thank you for being a service to others today, Luke. Everyone wants you to thank you again, everyone, for listening. Remember, you are not alone because we we are are no no Alamo. Alamo. Yeah, ciao, poopsies. Talk to you next week.
I want you to call me If nothing was the same then who can I blame? Just want you to call me I got no excuses, I fucked up, I wanna have you Want you to call me Even if it costs my life to have you Want you just breathe I want you to call me If nothing was the same then who can I blame? Just want you to call me I got no excuses, I fucked up, I wanna have you Want you to call me Even if it costs my life to have you Want you just breathe All I need is you and I can't no more I've been drinking way too much right now You're nothing i never seen before I just need one cause and I feel so down Oh, I just wanna hear your voice Tell your other man he gon' get ra-ta-ta-da-da-da In his head, call me instead Know you used to love it and I miss you in the bed Tell your other man to step back or ta 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 I don't think too much but lately I'm thinking of you And I know you're gonna call me, I'm waiting on you Girl, I know you used to like that, you used to like that Tell your other man to step back or ta 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 I don't drink too much but lately I'm thinking of you And I know you're gonna call me, I'm waiting on you I want you to call me If nothing was the same then who can I blame? Just want you to call me I got no excuses, I fucked up, I wanna have you Want you to call me Even if it costs my life to have you Want you just breathe I want you to call me If nothing was the same then who can I blame you Want you to call me I got no excuses, I fucked up, I wanna have you Want you to call me Even if it costs my life to have you Want you just breathe Oh,